Trinity Park Church, good morning. It's good to be together. I'm Joe Jackson, I serve as worship leader, and it's my honor this morning to lead us in worship, to read our call to worship and hear these words that Christ speaks over our lives right now. For just a moment, I want to invite you, if you are able to, to go ahead and stand as we prepare to worship God together. And as you're standing, just go ahead and just look around you for those that are here um, in this space together. And as we think about how the Lord invites us to bring our weakness and our burdens to him, let's look around and be reminded of the individual burdens that we carry and then collectively how together we can bring those things to God. And we're thankful for all those who are visiting with us and for those who are joining us online. Um, Whether you're by yourself or you're with loved ones in your home, um, let's use this as an opportunity to be reminded of how all together Christ is the one who alone can carry us in our weaknesses. So hear these words from Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Highlighted here um, ultimately are these religious burdens that we can lay down. So this morning, if you wrestle with the weight of struggling with following the rules. Let's be reminded this morning that as Christians, we don't just follow the rules. We experience the grace of Christ. We cast ourselves on Jesus, our Savior. Matthew 11 says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Would you bow your heads and pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we do worship you this morning. We pray even now that you would quiet our hearts and give us hearts that can honor you with our lips and with our praise. Because, Lord, you have made us for yourself, our hearts are truly restless until they find rest in you. And so, Lord, I do pray as we enter into worship that you would help us to address the deafening noise of our culture. Help us, Lord, to confront the reality of iniquity and transgression that fills our lives. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would rescue us, that you would save us, and that you would remind us that you alone are the one who calls us to lay down these weights and to find our rest in you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's lift our voices as we sing, I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. If you need to, you can find the words on the church website, trainingpartchurch.org. The bulletin is there with all the words.
Yes, of Jesus, say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in Him a resting place, and He has made me glad. How true it is that our souls and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Jesus Christ. So let's look now to the cross. Let's look to the one who has paid the price for our sins and give us, given us a reason to sing with joy. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree, his body bound.
praise his name forevermore for endless days we will sing your praise oh lord oh lord our god oh lord oh lord our god thank you lord jesus that you hear our cry we worship you today oh god you may be seated. Good morning. My name is Mike Hall, and I am an elder here at Trinity Park Church. And we want to turn our focus and attention now to our corporate confession of sin. And for this morning, we're going to have a responsive reading. So if you're looking at the bulletin, um, you'll see one line that says leader and then all. I will read the leader and you follow with the all. We are like the men on the road to Emmaus. to us in the scriptures and through your spirit we often fail to recognize that you are with us and that you care for us help us Lord Jesus to believe the gospel that you died for us we who are slow to see you and believe you and help us Lord Jesus to believe the gospel that you now live for us that we might see you in your word and experience you in our hearts so now let's take just a brief moment for a pause, a silent pause, and consider any personal sin or anything that you need to bring before the Lord. And now, our assurance of pardoning grace. And this comes from Acts 13.38 and Ephesians 1.7. Acts 13.38 says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, and that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. These are encouraging words from God's word. And now we want to encourage you uh, to consider our time of giving. Um, because of the special nature of COVID-19, we're not doing the traditional offering, but we have um, some ways through our website where you can give online and we would encourage you to do that um, as a part of your regular worship to God through giving. And now we're going to have um, a song of offering. I invite you to stand and join us as we worship the Lord singing Christ our hope in life and death.
is our hope in life and death. Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand, what comes upon from Him. Now and ever. Now. 
whenever we confessed Christ our hope in life and death. Lord Jesus, you are our only hope. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Olivia Jackson, and I'm currently serving as the interim women's director for Trinity Park. Uh, and I'm just going to make a brief announcement about the Bible study that we're doing this fall. Um, we're going to be studying the book of James together using this book. This is Steadfast. It's by the Gospel Coalition, um, written by Courtney Doctor. We're really excited about this study. Um, there's so far, we've had about 30 women sign up, which is great turnout, but there's still room for more. Um, if you'd like to sign up, um, you can find the link under our, on our website under Connect Women, um, or also the uh, weekly email from Megan. But I wanted to announce that our books are in, the first round of books that Kathy Berger, we wave over here, has the books. If you've pre-ordered one, she has them. And she's also going to be ordering a second round. So if you'd like to get on, in on that and save on shipping, uh, find Kathy afterwards or contact me, and I'll tell you how to get in touch with her. Thank you. At this time, we'd like to take a moment for our pastoral prayer. So if you could uh, bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in a very unsettled time. Lord, there are many forces at work in this world. And these forces seek to further the cause of Satan and sin, to divide us as a people, to divide us from one another, and more importantly, to divide us from you. But Lord, you have assured us that the power of love and grace and forgiveness, the power of the gospel overcomes sin. And where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And so we are much encouraged that even though things look bad around us, we know that your spirit is at work and that you are reigning sovereignly and supreme over everything. You have not left your throne. You sit there still. And so, Lord, help us to receive great encouragement from this. And, Lord, I pray for our nation. I pray for the division that exists. Uh, Lord, I pray for the uh, cities where... There are people looting and rioting. And Lord, there is great tension and animosity between people and between groups. Lord, I pray for an end to this looting and rioting. And I pray for um, peace where there has been brokenness and for unity where there has been division. Lord, we also pray that, that those who have um, been unjustly acted upon, I pray, Lord, that justice would come into those situations. And I pray, Lord, that 
most importantly, most importantly, that people would see that there is something that we need beyond ourselves. We as humans in our sinful state are not capable of knowing the life that we're designed to know, and that can only be found in you. And I pray that this brokenness around us would cause those who don't know you, Lord, to seek after you. Lord, we pray for our country as we are going through an election cycle. I pray, Lord, that you would um, give our leaders wisdom and give them uh, a sense of, of justice and a sense of uh, fairness that this will be conducted as it should be conducted this election and Lord I pray that your hand would rest over our country and that this process would go uh, smoothly and Lord I pray that we would as we consider what choices that you would have us to make that we would remember that your kingdom is the greater kingdom and your desires should be what rule our decisions all of our decisions, not just who we vote for, but in every aspect of our life. Lord, we pray for our state. We pray for our, our governor. We pray for those in our city and county and the leaders. And we pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom as they make decisions that affect our daily lives. I pray that you would um, be with them as they make decisions about how to handle the coronavirus and um, when schools should reconvene, when students should go back, uh, physically go back to school. Lord, this is a very difficult decision, and many such difficult decisions are having to be made. And I pray that you would give our leaders, both our political leaders and uh, their medical advisors and those who have influence, give them wisdom. Pray, Lord, that very soon there would be some sort of resolve to this coronavirus situation, whether it be through the virus carrying its course and eventually dying away or through the successful development of a vaccine that can prevent it. We pray, Lord, that there would be an end in sight. We pray for the relief of those who have been hurt or suffering because of this virus. Lord, we also pray for this congregation, this church. We have also, in many ways, been affected by this coronavirus and Lord we pray that you would give us wisdom as we consider our next steps um, as much as we love being out here in nature and meeting together out in nature obviously Lord we can't we can't do this indefinitely we need your wisdom to show us where you would have us to meet when you would have us to meet and how you intend for us to carry that responsibility so Lord we pray for wisdom for our church leaders for our session and our diaconate and, and all those involved in the process. And so, Lord, we just commit our way to you knowing that it is only by your sovereign hand that we will make it through this situation and be the people, be the church that you would have us to be in this place at this time. We pray that your gospel would go forth in every conversation, in every action, and that your name would be glorified in all that we say and do. Be with the remainder of this service. Have your hand on every aspect. So we commit it all to you now and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 24, 
13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They are at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. I'm Corey, senior pastor here. It's good to see all of you this morning. It's a really nice morning. The humidity is low. The wind is blowing a little bit and I loved it when we went a cappella a minute ago and we could hear the sound reverberating through the parking lot together. It's, it's just a beautiful moment. Now, this is a, one of the greatest passages in all of scripture. It's one of my absolute favorites. It's a recognition story. It's a moment when these men are journey, journeying together on the road of life and they are completely bewildered about their circumstances. They cannot put together how in the world their current circumstances match up with the grace of God. They cannot figure out for the life of them in this conversation how in the world Jesus could be all that he said that he was 
and yet here they are experiencing what they're experiencing. You know, some of us have given up on 2020. We've given up, and I've seen all the internet memes about how we're just waiting for 2021, and they're pretty funny, uh, actually, some of them. Uh, it's been a colossally difficult year for many of us, for our nation, for our world, and we're tempted to give up on 2020. The only reason I can tell you not to do that is because Jesus is alive and because Jesus is at work. The story of the men on the road to Emmaus is a recognition story. These men are walking down the road and they are complaining, they are bewildered, they are befuddled, they did not even know, they could not possibly put together that Jesus was actually with them, that Jesus was actually literally talking to them while they were complaining to Jesus about Jesus, about what happened to Jesus. They could not see him until the Lord and his timing made it so that they could see him. So I pray that this morning that we will be able to see Jesus, that, that the Lord Jesus will make this his time when, when he shows up in our hearts, that our hearts at the end, as they were, burning with passion, recognizing that Jesus is with us even in this moment of 2020. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would make your word what you say that it is, that it is living and active, that's sharper than any double-edged sword, that it pierces between soul and spirit, that it rightly divides the heart. Lord, would you do that for us this morning? That's why we're here. That's why we're joining in person. That's why we're joining online. We want to see you in the midst of our lives, and we need that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I actually have five things I want to point out to you. I'm going to go away from my normal threefold message. Uh, there's five things I could not get away from in the passage this morning that I want to point out to you. First of all, we find Jesus in our confusion. We find Jesus in our confusion. The whole tone of this conversation is one of confusion and disillusionment. From the very beginning, Verses 17 through 21, Cleopas and a close friend were walking down the road together and they were discussing the events of the day. Why were they confused? Well, they had been walking with Jesus. They weren't in the immediate circle of 12, but they were disciples of Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. They had joined this crowd of people that had been following Jesus and they had put their hopes in Jesus. This is what they had believed about him. It says in verses 19 through 24, that this man was Jesus of Nazareth. He was a great prophet. He worked great miracles. He had given profound teachings. They say they thought that he was the one who was going to bring redemption to Israel. They had believed with all of their hearts and all of their lives that Jesus was the one that was going to bring his kingdom on earth. And yet now in the most recent events, he had been crucified by the Romans. They believed what they understood Jesus to be. They understood him to be the Messiah who had come to set the world to rights, but they believed that was a political kingdom. They believed that Jesus was going to be the king, the earthly king to set up his kingdom. They didn't understand that Jesus' kingdom was not of this world, that, that it was going to be breaking into this world, that it was going to be wrecking the normal systems, not through the government, but subversively through the changing of people's lives in community. They did not see, they did not understand who Jesus was. And they heard a report from some women who went to the tomb. This is a repetitive theme in scripture that when women 
give testimony. Oftentimes they are not believed. They are not believed. They, they cannot understand what the women are saying. And so they're talking about this report that they had seen a resurrected Jesus. They believed that Jesus coming to earth meant the restoration of their current circumstances right now. That is what they were grappling with. They believed that right now, since Jesus had come, that their circumstances should be totally changed and totally different. And so they were bewildered and confused that in the midst of they, them wanting Jesus to change their circumstances, all he had done for them in the end was to die on a cross. That's it. That was it. He had died. And now they're getting these reports that he was raised. And they can't understand what Jesus' death on a cross has to do with the redemption of the world and of their lives. They just don't understand it. And so they're confused and they're frustrated. You know, we can act this exact same way when we're confused about what God is doing. And right now we are confused about what God is doing. We're in the midst of a pandemic, great racial injustice in our country. We're seeing, we have cities that are torn apart by rioting. We have two very different visions of how America should function in our political parties. It's a time of difficulty where because of the pandemic, we can't even really come together like these men were on the road. We're afraid to experience community in the way that we normally do. And we're bewildered and we're confused. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is a God who seeks us out in our confusion, in our bewilderment, in our discouragement. We have a God who seeks us out. This is exactly the situation that Jesus thrives in where he loves to show up to bewildered and confused people to show them the reality of himself, the reality of the gospel. I can't tell you how many times I've taken walks, either with people or on my own, through Umstead State Park right up the road or, or on the tobacco trail, and I'm just complaining to God, essentially. I'm complaining to God about my life and about the circumstances that I'm facing, and God regularly shows up for me. He regularly shows up in my life. I know that for you too, think about the times when God has shown up in your life. Has it not often been when you are confused and bewildered that Jesus shows up? He shows up in these times when our hearts are ready, when we're, we're crying out to him. This is when Jesus often shows up on the scene. We're walking through these four weeks in Luke because we're getting ready for the the sermon series on Acts that's going to start on our 10th anniversary, which comes up on September the 13th, the 10th anniversary of our church being planted back in 2010. And so we're pointing forward from Luke to Acts. What is Luke telling us about the way the early church should function and the way that we should function as Christians? Well, the early church, they looked at the road to Emmaus. They looked at moments like this in Jesus's ministry and it became a pattern for them. When they were bewildered and they were confused, what did they do? They came together like in the upper room, like after Peter had been released from prison, like Paul on the road, as he's wondering if he should go into Macedonia. What do they do? People pray. People come to God and they say, Lord, what should we do? We don't know. But they believe that we serve a God who shows up, who gives us recognition stories in the midst of our bewilderment, and it changed the way the early church understood how to function in their hardship. So we find Jesus in 
confusion. We also find Jesus in conversation. You know, oftentimes in our confusion, what do we do? We come together. We begin to have conversations with one another, and we begin to have conversations with God because we just don't know what else to do. We need to connect with other people, and we need to connect with our God, and we begin to have conversations. This is what community groups are all about. This is how our teams, our various teams in the church function. I was on a call this week. We had a prayer time for an hour on Friday on Zoom. I also, like many people, have a hard time connecting on Zoom. You know, I think we're all a bit Zoomed out. I get it. But on this, in this prayer meeting, I think there were nine or ten of us on the call, and we experienced on a Zoom prayer call, I mean, there were people crying as they were pouring out their hearts to the Lord. There's something that happens as you get involved in a conversation with other brothers and sisters in the church, and you're struggling, and you're frustrated, and you just start pouring your hearts out to one another and your hearts out to God. And the Lord shows up in those conversations. The Lord Jesus shows up when we are having conversations with one another. Jesus loves to have conversations with us. So the text tells us that this happened the very night that we know that Jesus had risen from the dead. It says the very night after the women had told these men, they started this journey to Emmaus. And they were struggling to believe this report. Even though the conversation between Cleopas and his friend, which is great, we need to be, be pursuing these kind of conversations with each other, recognize the limitations of their ability to help one another. Right? I mean, conversations are great between one another, and we need to have those. Don't, don't stay isolated. But also don't think that just by connecting with another human being in the church that all your problems are going to be solved. Because what they need is they needed to have a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus needed to show up on the scene and enter in. So Jesus, look at how he enters into this conversation. He basically says, what things are you guys talking about? He joins in with them in the midst of their conversation. Jesus doesn't railroad the conversation. He doesn't show up and all of a sudden it's all about him. It's all about his agenda. He enters in as a servant. He enters into the conversation in the frame that they're already talking about. And so when Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? We see Cleopas' answer. He's irritable and he's rash. He says, basically, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happened in Jerusalem over the last few days? I mean, can you imagine him thinking back to having said this to Jesus? Are, are you... Are you the only one who's unaware of how hard these last few days have been for us, mister? You know? And here's Jesus himself, who has been the one who is crucified, who has gone through all that he went through for us, who, is, who has died and been raised. And Jesus, Jesus has to listen to this, right? And, and he willingly listens to us complain about him complain about what he's not doing for us. And he, he enters in. And instead of getting self-righteous and saying, don't you know who I am? He listens and he lets them continue on. In this, we find that Jesus is a good friend to us. He's a good friend. He doesn't get, he doesn't get frustrated with us in our frustration with him. He allows us to be irritable and rash. And he waits for the perfect time to redirect us. 
You know, the Emmaus story changed how the early church viewed the way that they should experience community together. I mean, Jesus had modeled this in his ministry, and it was all about really table fellowship. It was about gathering around together, sharing life together, in conversation, and experiencing God together. Now, table fellowship for us is difficult, right? I mean, some of us are beginning to invite people over outside on the back porch or whatever, but we're not back to the the way that we were. We're not back to the way that we were, but the church was built on being able to come together relationally in conversation. So even if we have to be socially distanced, it's really important. It is crucially important that you're having conversations with other people in the church about what you're going through and ultimately you're bringing Jesus into that conversation. This is how the church functioned. That basically what I just told you was the ministry philosophy of the early church. That's what they did. That's what they did in worship. Worship led to spending time together in a meal. A lot of churches model this. They have a meal after the service, which is a beautiful thing. But we need to be connecting in conversation with one another. So Jesus, after listening for a really long time, we don't know how long he listened to Cleopas and his friend complain about how hard their lives were. And Jesus listened to them because it, I believe he actually was compassionate toward them. He wasn't just kind of managing his own frustration level. He actually cared about them because it had been hard for his disciples to not be able to put together what had happened to their Lord over the last three days. But then Jesus begins to change the conversation. He does take over the direction of the conversation because that's what they needed. That's what we need. We need Jesus when we're frustrated and when we're complaining. We need him to listen to us, but we need him to do more than just listen, more than just empathize. We need him to direct us. We need us to direct us to, we need him to direct us to himself. And that's what he does here. And that's the third thing he does. He doesn't just connect with us in our confusion and in conversation. We also find Jesus in the scriptures. And so we get into verse 25 through 27, where Jesus begins to open up the Old Testament to these men on the road. Now, you know, there's a question that'll be off often asked at dinner parties, and if you could go back to one moment in the history of the world, where would you want to be? You know, people will give their answers to that question. One place I would really love to be, maybe more than anywhere else, if I could go back to any point in history, would be on the road to Emmaus. And can you imagine sitting there with Jesus or walking with Jesus? This is like all of seminary condensed into a seven-mile walk where Jesus unpacks the scriptures to you in a way that shows you how it all fits together and how it's all centered upon him, how it all led to him and how everything is moving forward in him. This would have been an unbelievable teaching moment, like unparalleled in history to listen to how Jesus talked about the scriptures and how they pertain to himself. Unfortunately, we only get a few sound bites in verses 25 through 27. We only get the summary but we can understand a bit of what Jesus's preaching and teaching ministry was like from this. First of all, Jesus's preaching was biblical. It was biblical. Jesus didn't go around the scriptures to talk about himself. He went to the scriptures to talk about himself. 
What this means for us is that when you're reading the Bible, you need to understand that it all fits together. There, it's not a bunch of disintegrated stories. It's not a, a bunch of moralistic tomes from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is about Jesus. We need to read it as one integrated story. That's how Jesus understood the scriptures. He understood that he was the lens through which everything was focused. His preaching was biblical and his preaching was Christ-centered. He explained to everyone how all of scripture was about himself, which means that if you're reading the Bible and at the end of your reading, your application point is, I need to do X, Y, Z, or it's some disconnected thought about wisdom or some esoteric idea that's not anchored in the person and work of Jesus, then you, you've not really read the Bible that day. You've not fully read the Bible how it's supposed to be read. The Bible's not supposed to lead us into moralism or into some disconnected hyper-spiritualism. It's supposed to lead us to Jesus. And so when you're reading the Bible, the question you need to always be asking yourself is, how does this direct me to Jesus? If it's in the Old Testament, how did it point me forward to Jesus? If it's in the New Testament after the Gospels, how does this direct me back to Jesus? Scripture, the preaching of Jesus was Christ-centered. It was centered on himself. And his preaching was gospel-focused. It was gospel-focused. You know, Cleopas and his friend understood that Jesus was a great teacher, that he worked miracles, that he, uh, he had done a lot of great things. He had been really loving to a lot of people. But they couldn't understand how the cross and the resurrection had anything to do with who Jesus was. What, what that means is that you can believe in Jesus as a good person, as a miracle worker, as a great teacher, and still not understand the gospel. That's where Cleopas was. Cleopas understood a lot about Jesus, but he didn't understand the main thing about Jesus, which is that he needed to suffer and he needed to be raised from the dead. And so that's the fourth point I want to bring out this morning is that we find Jesus in the scriptures, but in particular, we find Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. In the end there in verse 26 and 27, the resurrected Jesus says to them, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. The focus of Jesus's preaching and teaching was, was on how his cross and his resurrection integrated with who he was, how his cross and his resurrection was the gospel. And if they didn't understand that he needed to suffer and die, if they didn't understand that he needed to be raised from the dead, then they couldn't understand who he was. So let's go into this in depth just for a moment this morning. Why did Jesus need to die, and why did he need to be raised from the dead in order to save us? First of all, why was the cross necessary for Jesus to save us? Well, Genesis 1 and 2, we were created in God's image. Imago Dei, perfect, perfect in God's image. Male and female, all nationalities are ultimately anchored back into Adam. We, are all, we were created in the image of God, but then we fell. And when we fell, every aspect of our being as humans was marred. We're not as bad as we could be, but every aspect of our humanity has been affected by the fall. And we see the outworking of that 
throughout scripture. We see the outworking of that in our lives today, in our culture. There is much evil in the world. There is much evil in our hearts. Don't just look out and say, look at all the evil out there. There's a lot of evil. It's all generated from in here, from inside of some human being or a collection of human beings together that are getting it wrong. So we needed Jesus to come. We needed him to suffer and die, to reverse the curse of sin. We needed someone, either you or I have to pay for our sin. We have to pay the price for what we've done. We are guilty and ashamed before God on our own, and we know it inside of our being. We know it, but Jesus came to shed his blood to take on the wrath of God on the cross so that instead of us receiving the judgment, he would receive the judgment in our place. Cleopas and his friend didn't understand that the only way that they could be redeemed, the only way they could have their ultimate confusion and bewilderment because of sin, the only way that could get set to right was not political. The politics were not going to ultimately answer the big questions. There's no political party that's gonna save us from this. We need a king who comes from outside of all that, who enters in and who dies, who pays the price for our sin to make us right with God. That's why Jesus had to die. Now, the resurrection also was necessary for Jesus to save us. The cross was not the end of the story. We needed more than just to have our sins forgiven and us to be set right in God's presence. We needed new life. Ultimately, the curse for sin, and we see it in our world today with COVID-19 and so many different countries that are suffering in the world, the wages of sin is death. We needed Jesus to take care of our sin, but we needed him to take care of death as well. We needed him to take care of our spiritual death. We needed to be made alive. We needed to be able to, through the Holy Spirit, be able to follow God, be able to serve him, to have new life. Otherwise, bewilderment and confusion and frustration is all we can really hope for in life. Because of the resurrection, even though we do walk through moments and even seasons of great discouragement, that is not our story ultimately as Christians. Ultimately, our story is that we have a God who is, even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our discouragement and bewilderment, is redeeming, who is alive, who is at work, we believe he is, he is working redemption in the world, in our lives, and through his name. Cleopas and his friend had a Jesus without the cross and the resurrection. They had been serving and following a Jesus that did not integrate those aspects of his life into their understanding of who he was. And Jesus was showing them through the scriptures that he had to suffer and had to die in order to redeem them and the world. And the Emmaus story impacted Acts tremendously. The sermons that are preached in Acts, if you look at these sermons, what you have is you have Peter, you have Philip, you have Paul, you have others where the scriptures are alive to them. And I hope that at Trinity Park, we're a church where you learn to love the scriptures, not the scriptures just for the sake of themselves, but because it all points us to Jesus. It all points us to his death and resurrection. It points us to the source of our hope in him. We serve a God who shows up in our lives through the scriptures on the road of life to direct us to himself. And finally, after we find Jesus in his death and resurrection, we also find Jesus in his timing, in his timing. 
So after hearing Jesus preach what is probably the best sermon ever in the history of the world, they still don't understand. Isn't that humbling? That, I mean, they heard Jesus say all this. They still don't understand who Jesus was. And they still don't understand that he's standing there talking to them. They don't understand. Still, what this shows us is that learning alone and teaching alone cannot save you. Now, they are important and the ministry philosophy of the early church models after Emmaus. God shows up and speaks to us through the scriptures, through the preaching and teaching of his word, through conversations. But ultimately, preaching and teaching and conversations won't save you. Jesus saves you. Jesus saves you. Jesus shows up through the power of the Holy Spirit and through his word and by his spirit. The Holy Spirit helped people write the Bible so they're, they're very connected, the spirit and the word. God shows up, Jesus shows up in his timing, and this is a recognition story. Suddenly, their eyes are opened. Suddenly, after they've gotten all the teaching in their head, God enlivens their hearts so that they can believe it, so that they can understand it, so that they can embrace it, and it happens in God's timing. I love how this happens. So, Jesus acts as if he's going further. I love how that's described. He's like, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to continue on. And they're like, no, 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 no. Please don't leave. Please don't leave. This has been the most amazing experience we've ever had. Can you please stay with us and eat a meal? And apparently imp Jesus' impact on them is so profound that contrary to normal customs, they asked Jesus to host the meal even though they invited him to it. I mean, it's very obvious that this person who's with them, whoever he is, is special. And so they give him the ability, which in the ancient Near East, to host the meal is this sign of submission and, and reverence. And so Jesus hosts the meal. And as he's hosting the meal, what is he doing? He breaks the bread, just like he did in the upper room, just like he did at the Last Supper. The last time the disciples had a recognition moment of what Jesus might do, they had some clue of where Jesus was going. Jesus, in that same type of moment, breaks the bread and it, immediately their eyes are opened and they realize that they are with Jesus all along. I, I find this so deeply encouraging because there's so many times in my life when I am going on the road of life and I am convinced, not I would never like write this answer on a theology test because I want to make A's on my test. Like I know Jesus is always with us and you do too. You would never write that on an exam. Is Jesus ever not with you? You know. Yes, there's sometimes when he's not with me. That's not, we know that's not true. But experientially, it feels like it. And it feels like it in 2020. It feels like Jesus has left us on the road. And he doesn't care. And this incredible encouragement to me is this, that Jesus is with us right now. He is with you right now. And in his own timing, for his own sovereign purposes, he reveals himself to us when he wants us to see him. And so... My prayer for us, and my, I just plead with the Lord that the Lord would allow us and he would open up our eyes so that we, we would see him. We would see him as he's revealed to us in the scriptures. We would see him that as we pour out our hearts to him in conversations, as we complain about our lives and as we struggle with 2020 and we, we're tempted to give up on it altogether, 
that we would believe that Jesus would show up and give us in his timing that recognition moment when we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus in the midst of our lives. As they see Jesus, it says there in verse 32, what happens as, they, as Jesus disappears and goes somewhere else? Which is kind of cool. Um, kind of cool that Jesus can do that. Apparently, at this point, he's like a superhero. He can do like these kind of these kind of amazing things. He's resurrected. And um, verse 32, as they they realize what just happened, that they were with Jesus for hours and heard him teach, and now they just saw him. They say, "Were our hearts not burning with passion as we were on the road with him? Were our hearts not burning with passion on the road when he opened the scriptures to us?" When we have our recognition moments, what happens? It's not always emotional, but it is often the spiritual moment when we burn inwardly, where we know that Jesus is with us. I don't want to hype up the emotional side too much, but this is a Presbyterian church, okay? So I'm going to hype it a little bit. It's okay to get emotional about your faith. You should. If it, it's always cerebral, that's actually really not even Presbyterianism. I'm sorry. Jonathan Edwards, who was one of the, the fathers of, modern, of uh, American Presbyterianism, you know, he wrote a book called The Secret, The Religious Affections, how, how God's affected him personally, and he would see this in his ministry. And we need to understand that we need to incorporate our emotions into our faith, both in how we pour out our hearts to God and how we expect to experience the Lord as well. There are some times when God meets you in your mind, and there are other times when God meets you just in your heart, and you feel it in your heart. You can't reconcile it in your mind, but you know Jesus is real, and you know that he is true and that he is transforming you. You know, the Emmaus story affected the way that the early church understood conversion. When people heard the gospel preached and the scriptures unpacked and Jesus at the center and the cross and the resurrection as the main focal points of the sermons, Oftentimes, what you hear is people that say, we are cut to the heart, like it says in Acts 2. People were cut to the heart, and they say, what should we do? Or you find Cornelius, one of the first Gentiles who comes to faith, who says, what do I do? I mean, how do I respond to this? It's not a cognitive, okay, I understand now the syllogism of how Christianity works itself out intellectually. No, they say, this is true, and I feel it in my heart, and I believe it in my mind as well. And so today, if you are feeling worn out and you're feeling bewildered and you've been walking the road of life, you've been having conversations, and yet this morning, if you feel like you're experiencing Jesus in your heart and you feel like in your, in your inward person that your heart is burning a little bit, even a little bit, I just want you to latch onto that and realize that that is the Lord at work in you. That's the Lord at work in you. And we need to plead with the Lord. We need to plead with him that he would make this moment of 2020 a recognition moment. None of us always have recognition moments, but we have moments in our lives where the Lord shows up on the road of life. It could be in a community group. It could be on a team that you're on. It could be as you're talking to a friend. It could be as you're talking to your spouse. It could be oftentimes it happens in worship where the Lord works in you. Don't discount that. Don't discount those moments and press into those moments. What happened with these men is they were so transformed by the experience of being with Jesus as they went out and shared the gospel. They, they proclaimed the gospel 
to their friends in the community and to others. And this transformed their lives. So my encouragement to you would be to rejoice that we have a God like this. Rejoice that we have a God who meets us in our confusion, who meets us in conversation, who came and died and was raised for us, and who loves to give us recognition experiences with him. Don't give up on 2020. The only reason I can tell you to not do that is because Jesus is alive, because Jesus is with us. Jesus is at work in us. He meets us in our confusion and disappointment in our exhaustion to show us that he's good and that he loves us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would do what only you can do. And I've experienced it many times in my life, in my bewilderment, in my confusion, when I just can't, I cannot put together intellectually how your goodness and my circumstances can coexist. And yet you are the God who died for us and you're the God who, had, who has been raised for us. You are seated on your throne and you promise us that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of Christ. There is nothing that we've experienced in 2020 that you're surprised about, that overpowers you, overmatches you. Even though we are overmatched, Lord, you are present. And I pray that you would help us to recognize right now in a very tangible, personal way that you are with us. Lord God, would you help our hearts to burn with passion again? Lord, we need you to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together. We have received good news that Christ has died and he is the one who was with us. And so let's sing to the Lord um, as our affections are stirred of this blood that was shed that flows to cover sin and has washed us clean. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
Jesus took my place in divine exchange. Jesus, he took my place in divine exchange. the benediction. <clears throat> May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours today, world without end. Amen. Go in peace.